Job chapter number 1. I've had uh, many people ask about how my uh, shoulder's doing, and uh, it's doing really quite well. The therapy is going good. Uh, I'm able to preach without that uh, bolster, that, uh, that pillow that holds it and feel, makes me feel like I'm in a straitjacket. So as you can see, I can move it a little bit, and that's kind of nice to um, be able to have a little bit of use of my right arm, and I certainly appreciate all of your prayers. Somebody asked, how much longer do I have to wear this? Well, uh, I know that uh, at least part-time, probably another six weeks from what they've told me, but um, I am looking forward to getting this over with. And I'm very, Sister Denise, I'm very jealous of your husband because he's been golfing. And he told me he shot a 76 the other day. And uh, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, Brother Harwell is like, you ever seen that the commercials where they have the mechanical machine that tests golf balls and golf clubs? That's Brother David right there. He's just a machine, but anyhow. All right, book of Job, chapter number one. Look with me, beginning in verse number 20. Then Job arose and rent his mantle, and shaved his head, and fell down upon the ground, and worshipped. If you're not familiar with the story of Job, Job was a very blessed man. Job was a righteous man. The Bible says, God says that he was a perfect man, and upright, and one that eschewed evil. I mean, Job was a top-notch believer in God. And Satan and God have this conversation, this argument, and Satan says to God, does Job fear you for not? You've got a hedge about him. Of course, he's going to be a good guy. You've just blessed him and you put this fence of protection around him, but if you'll change his circumstances, Satan said, he will curse you to your face. And God said, okay, Satan, have at him change his circumstances, and let's see what happens. And so through two different onslaughts from the, from the devil, Job lost all of his possessions. He lost his children. All he had left, physically speaking, was his wife. But his wife wasn't even with him on a soul level because she's basically saying to him, why don't you just curse God and die? And so here we see that Job is mourning, he's grieving, he shaves his head, he falls down upon the ground, and notice what he says in verse number 21. And Job said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Skip down to chapter number 3 and look with me at verse number 25. Job says later on, he says, For the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. I was not in safety, neither had I rest, neither was I quiet, yet trouble came. I'd like to take this morning's message and speak to you on a subject that, um, although few people will admit it, I think everyone deals with this problem in life at one time or another, and that is overcoming security. I want to talk about God's security system with you here this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, bless 
the time that we have together around the Word of God. Thank you for the story of Job. Uh, Lord, at the beginning of this book, our heart just goes out for a man who lost so much and yet didn't deserve any of it. And yet, God, we see the big picture. We see what was going on in the invisible realm, but Job did not have that privilege. There were things that he couldn't sense, he couldn't understand. And yet, God, you were patient with Job, and Job was patient with you. We thank you, Lord, that we know the end of the story. We thank you, Lord, for the things that you have helped us through in life. And I pray that each and every one of us, that we would learn how to overcome our own insecurities. I pray, Father, for those here this morning that perhaps uh, struggle with insecurity, but don't even recognize what it is. I pray that the Word of God would speak to hearts and help us in this need. And above all, I pray, Father, that you would point us toward the only real source of security that we have, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, for it's in His name that we pray. Amen. You know, there are a lot of different forms of security systems in the world that we live in today. Uh, One of the last houses that I built, I actually installed my own security system. And I mean, we wired uh, door sensors and window sensors. We put motion sensors in the house. We even put sensors, glass break sensors. I mean, a little sensor mounted on the wall that it can recognize the decibels of the breaking of glass and... Even though the door, the window doesn't open, it can still tell you that the bad guy's trying to get in. We have smoke detectors. We have carbon monoxide detectors. We have radon detectors. We have monitoring call centers where you can push a button if you fall and you can't get up. We have, we have OnStar, first response. For our computers, we have firewalls. We have pin numbers. I remember when I first got familiar with computers and for different things, I had to have a PIN number. Back in the early days, it could literally be four digits. And now it has to be 27 digits with special characters, underscores, you have to have capital letters and numbers, and you have to have a few little Greek symbols in there. It's just crazy. How about credit and identity fraud? Not to mention the fact that you can literally buy an insurance policy for anything that you own or do. We bought traveler's insurance when we went on our trip to Maine for our 30th anniversary that got cut short because of my wife's faked injury. Oh, I mean injury. What Did I say that? Man, I... We bought trip insurance, and I'm still haggling with them. I mean, they are literally, I get an email that says, well, we need this information. I thought I already sent you that information. I know what they do. They string you along for so far that they hope that you'll just give up. But I'm not going to give up. No way, Jose, because on that few short amount of time that we were in Maine, we didn't get to eat a lobster roll. And so we have to go back, don't we? And we went to this little restaurant uh, the one day we were able to to have uh, lunch. And boy, the clam chowder was fabulous. How many of you like clam chowder? All right. Save people in the auditorium. But, you know, the reality of it, folks, life is fragile and uncertain. And we're living in a day and age where we're used to getting what we want when we want it. 
And the result of this is an inordinate amount of insecurity. Do you know that Jesus prophesied that in the last days that there would be an inordinate amount of insecurity? In Luke chapter 21 and verse number 26, he said, Men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. You know, one of these days, we're going to lose control over our environment and over our circumstances, and men's hearts will be failing them for fear. No one is immune to insecurity. You may be feeling pretty insecure right now, but wait until your circumstances change. It only takes one doctor's visit. It only takes one meeting with the boss. It only takes one phone call. It only takes one little change in our circumstances where we go from feeling very secure and very content until now we are struggling with insecurity. I'd like to say to you here this morning that personally, just on a personal level, I've certainly had my battles with insecurity. I remember I had a boss one time that um, he basically told me, he said, your problem is that you have insecurities. And, and, I, and I thought about that and I thought, you know what, after I quit working for him, I wasn't insecure anymore. Go figure. But uh, listen, I've had my battles. Um, I, we, you know, growing up, and and I didn't realize this when I was younger. And and praise the Lord, I, I've learned some things, and some things that I've learned. I want to try to to give those to you here this morning. That things that have helped me, maybe they'll be a help to you as well. I've had my battles with insecurity. And I didn't realize maybe what some of the sources were. But I got to thinking about this. And you know, growing up, from the time that I was born until I was 18, 19 years of age, I did some math. I made a chart. And I realized that literally, as a, as a family, we moved to a different house, school, or town, and in some cases, different states, an average of every one and a half years. Well, of course I'm insecure. <laughs> I, I didn't realize it at the time. You know, children are resilient. But that lack of stability, you know, you you get a home or you get friends or you start getting comfortable. And I kind of had a pattern of life to where after, you know, after four or five times like that, then you realize that everything that you're secure in in life is very potentially going to be ripped out away from you. And then when I was in my early 30s, and I've told you this story before, we got the news that my dad was killed in a tragic accident. And boy, that really put me in a tailspin emotionally because something that was very, very valuable to me was all of a sudden it was lost. And that kind of uh, magnified every other insecurity that I had. And that battle was certainly intensified after my father's fatal accident. What is insecurity? By definition, it's worrying about losing what you have. In short, it's the fear of loss. And by the way, you don't have to have very much 
in order to be insecure. And yet at the same token, I've just observed that the more that somebody has, the more tendency that they'll have to battle with insecurity. I have observed that some of the most successful, driven for success individuals that you'll ever meet, the people that have the most, that you would think that with all that they have, they're very, they're going to be very secure and very content, but oh, just the opposite is the case. I have known pastors that pastor churches of 500, 600, a thousand people, and you would think that they would be perfectly content with a church their size. Their buildings are paid for. I mean, they've got a big crowd. I look at it this way. I know as a pastor, um, I, I don't want to lose anybody. And I'd like to see every single seat in this auditorium full. Wouldn't that be a blessing? But you know what? If it, Listen, if no one is added in attendance to this church, I have to honestly say before the Lord, you know what? I got plenty of people to pray for, and I got plenty of people to be thankful for. Uh, I'm a very, very blessed man, and uh, I should be thankful for what I have rather than worrying about what I could lose. There are some examples of insecurity. For example, the loss of possessions. Job, in our text, lost basically everything that he owned. His cattle, his crops, and everything. He lost it in just a short moment's time. How about the loss of environment? What do you mean by that, preacher? Oh, there is a lot of insecurity in American culture today. The loss of environment. Hey, what do we hear almost every year? We hear global warming, global warming, global warming. And yet, sometimes I think, global warming, sometimes it feels colder than it ever has, right? I mean, the, the, the global warming fear-mongering just doesn't make sense. And as I've said before, what, what if it's true? What if, what if the, the world, what if there is a warming in, say, North America? What if that is true? Now, by the way, I don't think that our aerosol cans caused it. And I don't even think that the factories that uh, and the emissions of vehicles have even played a contributing factor. I read that a, a scientist showed that one one single eruption from Mount St. Helens, I remember that, we didn't live too far from that in the Northwest, but one eruption caused more emissions in this planet than all of human history, anything that man has ever been able to do combined throughout all of the centuries, and then some. Just one eruption. So you can't blame it necessarily on men. Even if the world's getting a warmer place, what happens if the ice caps melt? Well, then that just means that we're going to be farming in Greenland, right? And we can use all of the dead polar bears for fertilizer. Don't get quiet on me. Bunch of tree huggers. You know, they, they just, the, the media is just continually trying to use fear to manipulate their agenda. By the way, 
By the way, California has practically burned up. But they won't dare cut down a tree and actually use it to build something with it. So they just let it all get thick and overpopulated until lightning strikes or, you know, the wind comes up and it just all gets burned up. If you think that we're going to destroy the earth, I've got news for you. Read the book of Revelation and you're going to find out that God's saving plenty for himself to eventually destroy. There's going to be plenty of earth left and so don't get caught up in all of the uh, fearful loss of your environment. How about loss of position? I'm not just talking about your position in employment, but your social position. Where you're at as far as how people esteem you. You know, a lot of people, they strive and they work to try to be popular, to try to be well-respected. And you know, one change in circumstance and a person can lose all of that. You know, Job was able to survive all of the loss of possessions and even the loss of his children. But when I read the book of Job, I find out that one thing that really stuck in the craw of Job was when his friends started trying to to attach blame, some type of a sin to Job's character, and that's the reason why God was judging him. That was the thing that Job valued the most was what people, how they viewed him. How about loss of relationship? My wife sent me, I just learned recently what a meme is. How many of you know what a meme is? All right. And then there are you old fogies. A meme, I'll try to describe a meme. A meme is a little caption that they send you on your phone or whatever. It's kind of a modern far side comic. Remember the far side? How many of you remember far side comics? All right, we got a little bit more hands there. It's just a little cartoon or a picture that's got a funny caption with it. My wife sent me this one. That uh, a guy says this. He says, "My wife left me because I'm insecure." Oh wait, she's back. She just went for coffee. <laughs> Now, that is an extreme, okay? But there's probably, in a crowd this size, there's probably somebody, it's like, I didn't think that was funny. (laughs) Happens to me about three times a week. (laughs) But certainly, the loss of a relationship can be an insecurity that we struggle with. Then there's loss of health. Um, You know, I've, um, I've been around people who have battled cancer, and you take somebody that either is or has battled cancer, and literally for the rest of their life, every single ache or pain, or, you know, sometimes you just wake up and you've got, you know, some little stiffness or sometimes little tweak and pain that you feel. Maybe you have a headache. Every single time that happens, there's a struggle of insecurity. Is, is the cancer back? Has it spread? Am I getting ready to lose my health? How about the loss of blessings? We fear that we might lose some privilege or some kind of a blessings. I know that uh, I can be a little bit strange at times, but shortly after I got right with the Lord, and you know, it's, what's interesting, this happens every now and then still, only it's not 
it's more of a comical thing today than it used to be. But when I first got right with the Lord and the things of God were just so valuable and I was so excited, I was so looking forward to the rapture. I lived four years in my teenage years not right with God and I wasn't looking forward to the rapture. I was like, no, don't, don't come today, Lord. I got some things I need to get squared out, or squared away. And uh, when I got right with the Lord, I was excited and looking for the rapture. And there were several times when uh, I would come home and uh, expecting that my wife was going to be home. And she wasn't. And I couldn't find her. It's like, I know she's home. The car's out there. And I looked everywhere in the house. I'd holler. I'd say, honey, honey, where are you? She was nowhere to be found. And I thought, oh no, I missed the rapture. So, Brother Kevin, you'll appreciate this. After 30-some years of marriage, then it's like, no, no, I'm good. <laughs> I love you, sweetheart. <laughs> uh, you find out that uh, we're none of us are perfect. <laughs> but uh still happens every now and then. There's all kinds of different things that are... Um, that we can struggle with when it comes to insecurity. Let's talk for a few minutes now about causes of insecurity. I think one of the big ones would be what is called performance-based acceptance. I read a Christian author who called this the report card syndrome. That means that we've been around people that we had to live up to a certain standard or they weren't going to emanate acceptance. In the Bible, there's a great example. Uh, Jacob's first wife, Leah, really struggled with insecurity. Consider the, the next three verses that I'll show you on the screen. Genesis 29, verse 32, it says, And Leah conceived and bare a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, Surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction, now therefore my husband will love me. In Genesis 29 verse 34, and she conceived again and bare a son and said, now this time will my husband be joined unto me because I have borne him three sons. Genesis 30 verse number 20, and Leah said, God hath endued me with a good dowry, now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. Leah allowed herself to get trapped in this endless cycle of performance-based acceptance, thinking if I can just do this, or if I can just please my husband, or please this person in my life, if I just measure up and get that straight A report card, then they will emanate acceptance rather than rejection. And it's just an endless cycle. And the fact of the matter is, it never, Leah never did receive the acceptance that she sought for. Now, if you'll consider Leah's life in the first place, Leah and her daddy had to connive in order to have her become the wife of Jacob to begin with. Uh, that's kind of one of those things that I would kind of throw in for free there are things in life that we can manipulate the outcome. But the end result 
you may get what you want at the moment, but you'll spend the rest of your life being insecure in what you got because your conscience will condemn you. It will betray you. You know you cut corners. You know that you didn't deserve it. And that inner verdict of your conscience will just always be staring you right in the back of the head. Leah should have just finally just accepted the fact that, you know what, I'm just going to do the best that I can. My acceptance is not based upon whether my husband loves me or not. I'm going to look past that and I'm going to focus on the ones. I guarantee you, Leah had some sons that she could have just focused on them. And that's what happens. We get trapped in insecurity, focusing on what we've lost at the expense of what we have. If we'd spend more time focusing on what we have rather than what we've lost, then um, we may not have as much insecurity. The next thing that is a common cause of insecurity is parental rejection. Some people have been rejected or perceived to be rejected by their parents. Uh, I know that some parents have unjustly and unwisely made comparisons among their children or comparing their children to somebody else. Listen, one of the worst things that a parent can say to their child is, why can't you be like... And you can be talking about their brother or their sister. You can be talking about their neighbor. You can be talking about somebody else in church. Oh, I just wish that you were like them. Well, I got two things to say about that. Number one... That is very, very cruel and uncharitable. Number two, you're a fool because you don't really know who you're comparing that person to. It's selfish. Now when it comes to parental rejection, there's two basic kinds. There's overt and covert. Overt rejection uh, means that there's some emotional hostility going on. The uh, covert rejection is more subtle, and it may be the rejection not from anything that's being said or communicated, but rather from neglect. I know two people, two types of people are typically insecure. People who have been abused by authority figure, or people who have been neglected by authority figures. But parental rejection can be a major cause of insecurity. How about the next one? I know I've personally referred to it already, but pain or loss from the past. Losing a loved one. A death. A divorce. A church split. Sickness. Sin. Failure. All of these pains from the past can certainly lend toward insecurity. And then the last one that I'll mention is simply self-will. The desire or the need to be in control. That certainly... I found in life that uh, there are, no matter how hard I try, there are really very few things that I have control over. And when I think I have control, I find out that it's really just a mirage. It's not real. I don't really have the control that I think that I have. What are the signs of insecurity? There are several, uh, probably more than I could name, but I'll name just a handful here this morning. There's depression, 
Depression can be the result of insecurity. Depression, why? Because this constant pressure of having to prove yourself, feeling like you're on trial every moment of your life. You know, that pressure can end up pressing you down to the point to where you're living in depression. And it's not necessarily because of some type of a mental illness. It could just simply be the fact that you haven't been able to overcome that feeling that I'm constantly being scrutinized and I constantly have to prove myself. How about the intense drive to succeed? That can be a result, a byproduct of insecurity, but it can also be something that produces insecurity. Being driven, oh, I've got to get to a certain point, I've got to reach my goals. I've had times in my life where I'd set out a goal and I think I'm going to reach this. And have you ever had a goal that you wanted to get to and you you kept flirting with, you just kept getting close. Just the line, just, you know, here's the ceiling where you're trying to get to and you just keep bouncing right up there close and then all of a sudden something crashes and it's like, oh man, now I'm not even close. That can lead to insecurity. There's another one that's common, and that is poor relationships with our peers. Do you know that people who battle insecurity typically don't have problems with peers that to whom they feel superior to? But the problem is, is when you get around people that you perceive to either be your equals or your superiors, you automatically jump to that performance-based acceptance and you try to please. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. You try to impress. You try to do whatever you can to gain that person's approval. And the relationship is not healthy. It's not, it's not meaningful. And it's always, you always feel like you're walking on eggshells. And then uh, perpetual discontent. People that are insecure just never can really rest and just enjoy life and appreciate the things that they have. They're always worried about losing something that they have. The last thing that I want to take a look at here this morning is the most important part, and that is the cure for insecurity. You know, I've found from experience that the cure for insecurity really isn't that complicated. It's really, it's, it's, it's almost so simple that I scratch my head and I go, wow, what was the big deal? Why did I, why did I waste all of those emotions on insecurity that I didn't have to be insecure about? The first thing that I'd say to you by way of cure for insecurity is that you've got to understand the truth. What do I mean by that? Here's the truth. This is so simple. I could give you 20, 30, 40 verses in the Bible, but it's not necessary. You know this. The truth is, there is no guarantee that any of us will keep anything. There is no guarantee. We are living in a sin-cursed world. Adam and Eve lost everything that was important the moment that they disobeyed God. And because of that, we come into a very 
insecure existence, a very insecure world, and there is no guarantee for anything. You can pad your retirement fund, and you know what? The stock market can still crash, and you can lose it all. You can say, I'm not going to do the stock market. I'm going to put all of my money into cash or gold, and I'm going to hide it in my mattress. I'm going to hide it in my walls of my house. I'm going to bury it in the backyard. Guess what? No matter where you put it, your house can burn down. A thief can break in and steal it. A dog can be digging in the backyard and start digging it up, and all of a sudden, here's all your stuff just... People come by. There's nothing that we can do that absolutely guarantees that we will keep anything that's of value. The sooner that we understand that truth and accept it, then the sooner that we can gain some victory over our insecurities. Secondly, we've got to understand God's love. Too often, we view the love of God the same way that we view other people's love. Maybe a parent. If a parent loved us conditionally, then we automatically assume that that's the way that God is. Now listen, the blessings of God are conditional. The approval of God is conditional. But you know that His love is unconditional? And He can't love you any more than He does now or ever has. He loves you with a perfect love. God is love. And that's something that we can be secure in. We've got to understand that fact. Don't view God the way that we view human relationships or our past experiences. The next one is we've got to understand that God has a purpose for us. God has a purpose for you. And it's a different purpose than what He has for me. God had a purpose and a plan for Job, just like He had a plan and a purpose for Noah, and for Daniel, and for Peter, and for uh, Paul, and for all of, for every single one of us, God has a perfect custom-designed purpose for each and every one of us. I read a story about a preacher's son who wanted to become a ventriloquist. And so they, he, they were, he was ministering to kids, and so he thought, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get me a dummy. And so he called the dummy company. I'm sure that's not what they call them. But he said, hey, dummy company, I need a dummy. Can you send me one? And he's thinking, you know, prime Amazon, I'll get one tomorrow, because I gotta teach this Sunday school class Sunday. And the dummy company started asking all these questions. Well, what, what do you want it to look like? What do you, all these details. He said, I just want a, a dummy. He said, they said, sorry, we don't, we don't keep them in stock. Every single one is custom made for the buyer. You know what? That, that, that's just like us. We're all dummies, but we're custom made by God. How about that? God has a perfect plan and a perfect purpose. And every detail in our life has been ordered by Him. And you know what else? God has given us everything we need to be a success in His eyes. There are times when we cannot, you know, you cannot always please men. 
no matter how hard you try. I mean, my porridge is too hot. My porridge is too cold. My porridge is just right. Yeah, when does that happen repetitive days in life? You don't ever find uh, baby bear porridge in life, do you? There's always going to be something that's wrong. One man's ceiling is another man's floor. And there are some people that, you know, given any particular day, they're going to be in a different mood, and you're just not going to win every time. You're not going to win most of the time with people. But you know that success in God's eyes, God's given us everything that we need. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us the Bible. He's given us prayer. He's given us, and I could just keep going on, all of the spiritual gifts that God has given us. He's given us what we need in order to be a success in His eyes. You don't have to, you don't have to feel, well, I'm just not good enough. I got news for you. No one is and no one ever will be. Thank God, God has a custom purpose for all of us. You know what, folks? All we can do is to just do our best with what God's given us to work with. Even when we don't do our best, we may forfeit some blessings, but thank God we don't forfeit His love toward us. The next thing is to trust God's promise. Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 5 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness. Don't be worrying about what you don't have or what you want. And be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, he didn't say you'll never lose the things that you have. He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now, if God were ever to forsake us, to reject us, we'd probably want Him to leave, wouldn't we? It's like, I don't, I don't want Him, I don't want Him living in my home if He's just going to constantly be forsaking me. But God says, I won't leave you or forsake you. We may lose a lot of other things in life, possessions, health, relationships, but we need to trust His promise that He will never ever leave us or forsake us. In conclusion, in Job 121, Job said, I remind you, the Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When we moved here from Idaho, uh, it's been, uh, it'll be 13 years this May, we decided that we trusted our stuff to ourselves more than we trusted our stuff with the moving company. And so we boxed up all of our stuff. We did, we did the boxing and we, I mean, we, we used bubble wrap and foam and all kinds of things and everything that we came to that was fragile, we took Sharpie markers and we literally wrote on all six sides of the box as large a letters as we could, fragile, 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 fragile. Now, do you know what fragile means to moving companies? Absolutely nothing. I mean, absolutely nothing. I mean, to a moving company, to to that guy that loads the van, oh, fragile, that'll make a good base. We can stack all of the heavy stuff on top of that. I mean, it meant nothing. 
And you know, sometimes in our life, we think, if I'll just write fragile on myself, then people will handle me with kid gloves and carefully. You know what that means? Absolutely nothing. We're trying to find some human way of manipulating how people treat us so that we can feel secure about ourselves and what we have. All of it is either temporary at best, but it's, a, it's, it's not real to begin with. Romans 8.38, Paul said, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature. Can you think of anything that's left out? Nothing. It covers 360 degrees in the entire universe. There is nothing, God says, that shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, there is only one certain secure thing in this universe, and that's God. And I'm here to tell you, He is enough. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank You for the security that we have in Jesus Christ. We thank You, Lord, that Your love is an unending, secure love. We thank You, Lord, that it's not like man's love. We thank You that You don't have good days and bad days. You're always the same. We thank You, Lord, that You don't change. We thank You, Lord, that we have the love of God. When we think about our sinful condition and how that there's nothing about us that deserves Your love, Lord, how our hearts are touched in gratitude. I think about the salvation that You provided for us in the cross of Calvary. Lord, I think about how many days that we waste trying to measure up in our own works and our own behavior and our own character, not recognizing the fact that there's nothing that we can do that is adequate because everything that is adequate was done by You on the cross of Calvary. We thank You, Lord, for that security that You have provided us. And Lord, we pray here this morning that that if there be anyone here that is not saved, I pray, Father, that Your love would draw them to Yourself. I pray for every believer who is struggling with insecurity that we would put into practice the truth of the Word of God, understand these things, and just rest and realize, God, that You're a God who cares. Life doesn't always go our way, but God, we can always rest assured that You know what's best for us. Thank You, Lord, that the latter end of Job, we saw that He was blessed even greater. So help us to learn how to deal with our losses without becoming insecure in our nature. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.